This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. Good morning, everyone. My name's Owen, and I'm one of the co-lead pastors here at Seven. If I've not met you before, welcome. It's so great to have you here with us. And if you're just back visiting, you haven't been for a while, you're so welcome as well. Now, I don't know about you, but earlier on when we were just at the end of the worship, there was a time of, like... Well, there's this kind of moment where Jack was suggesting that God was in the room. You might be feeling God. You might be sensing God. Um, and Claire was the same. And then uh, Claire Welburn also shared a, a couple of impressions about what God was saying to them for someone in the room. Let me just say, isn't that wonderful? And isn't that so strange? It's a strange thing. We take it for granted. And if you're not familiar with it, you'll know exactly what I mean. Because you'll probably sit there thinking, I have no idea what was going on there. But it was something beyond the normal. It was something maybe even paranormal or metaphysical or supernatural. We have lots of words for something that is beyond our natural perception, something that is beyond our normal perspective on life. And I'd like to talk about that today with you, if that's okay. Um, some of you may remember a few weeks ago, I interviewed um, Sam, Sam Taylor, about her experiences of God, where she's experienced Christ in her life. And actually, it goes back a long way for Sam. You can go back and listen to her interview. It's an amazing interview and wonderful inspiration. So do listen to it if you haven't already. But what she talked about was times in life where she felt God close and times in life where she didn't necessarily feel God close, but it was still still a relationship for her. So she was experiencing God physically in this life. And for many of us who've experienced God in that way, it, that will be no surprise. That will be something that we're very familiar with. But others, and dare I say it, most of the world will go, what are you talking about? How can you experience someone called Jesus who's a, a figure of history? And he is a historical figure. How can you experience Jesus in the here and now? How does that even work? What is that about? And what is, if anything, what is the biblical basis for that? Because it, there is a biblical basis for it. Because if there wasn't, we wouldn't have such a tr- strong tradition of this encounter with the presence of God. And that's what I want to talk about with you today. How is it that, we, that many people talk about experiencing Jesus in a real and profound way? And I want to suggest to you today that I think the answer, or one of the answers to that question, lies in what I think, and I emphasise what I think, is probably the key verse in the Bible. Um, and that's in Mark 1.15. Jesus is recorded by the gospel writers Matthew, Mark, Luke and John as saying many things. Many, many things. Many of the authors of the gospels get, um, get, you know, tell the same stories. Um, but Mark, it says, the first thing he says that Jesus said is this. If you like, it's his first public words. Because Jesus was a public figure. He was a Jewish rabbi. Okay, so people hung off every word that he said. And the first words that Jesus said, or rather that Mark records Jesus saying, is this. He gets up in a room like this and he says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, which means change your mind. In Greek, it's metanoia. Repent, change your mind and believe the good news. So the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. For me, this is the key verse in the whole Bible because it contains the gospel of Jesus. What is that? Well, according to Mark, Jesus taught his disciples that instead of God being in some other place, God in himself, Jesus, had come to be present in human history. Different words are used to describe it. Jesus said that God was now walking on the face of the earth, walking in the humble streets of Palestine, walking in the streets of Nazareth, 
walking in the streets of Jerusalem. And Mark is saying this is the good news, that God has come to be with his people. Now, a useful metaphor for this is one that Jesus actually uses himself, because Jesus uses this word, the kingdom of God. He uses the word kingdom. We might use the word realm. Now, obviously, we've just had a change from the late Queen Elizabeth to the King Charles III, and we have discovered that actually King Charles is now the king of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. We know that, right? Uh, We've been reminded of our constitution. And King Charles is the king of this realm. What we've also discovered, if we didn't know already, is that King Charles is also the king of other realms, 11 other realms, actually, including Australia, Canada, New Zealand. And, And what that tells us is it is possible to be king of a place where you do not live. If King Charles and Camilla were to relocate to New Zealand when he is coronated, crowned next year, if they said, do you know what, like many of us, the weather in Britain's a bit wet, let's go to New Zealand, because New Zealand is lovely and warm and sunny and they've got nice beaches and beautiful scenery, let's go and live in New Zealand, then they could do that, right? And they could still be king of the United Kingdom, king and queen consort of the United Kingdom. They could go and live in New Zealand. Not sure what New Zealanders would make of that, but they could do that. And that is a metaphor for what Jesus is saying here. It's like Jesus was saying, God has decided to relocate to Bethlehem and to Nazareth. And he's here. In Jesus, he's arrived. Now, it's not a perfect metaphor. It's not a perfect metaphor because they didn't have planes in those days, so you couldn't just fly somewhere and relocate. It's also not a perfect metaphor because Jesus is a Jew, and the history of the Jews is punctuated with long periods where they believed that God really did physically reside with them, like physically reside with them. God's presence was with them. Now, where was God's presence? If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, let me just give you a few bit of an overview of it. Um, For long stretches of their history, they believed that God was with them, for example, on Mount Sinai. On Mount Sinai, the the Israelites have just been, they've escaped from the the Egyptians, they've escaped from enslavement in Egypt, embarking on their long journey to the promised land. Our God says, I'm going to be with you, I'm going to accompany you. So build a tabernacle, which was an elaborate tent. And at the centre of this tabernacle, God's presence resided. And it, was, it didn't just reside in symbol. It resided in actual, physical, supernatural presence, if that's an, even possible to imagine. That in the Holy of Holies, the presence of God existed. I think it was like a flame. But it was more than that. It was also described as the presence of God was like a cloud of dust by, uh, by day and a, a cloud of fire by night. It was a physical physical sense and there were huge consequences uh, of having God's presence with them both good and terrifying Uh, and then when they arrived in the promised land eventually they built a temple to replace the tabernacle and where the ark of the covenant was where God's presence was actually physically there they moved that into the center of the temple and God's presence was in the temple like, this is, this is how they lived as a people. And that went on for hundreds of years. 
So they believed that God's presence was physically with them and it was a, pro- a protective um, presence. It was a providing presence. It wasn't just symbolic. Now, around about 586 years before Jesus, I say around about because the numbers are a little bit vague. What happened was that the, the, the predominant world power, the superpower of the time, the Babylonian Empire, destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple. They destroyed Jerusalem. And in Ezekiel 10, one of the prophets at that time, Ezekiel prophesied whilst the Israelites were in captivity in Babylon, which is what we would call now sort of the area around Baghdad, between the, the, the two great rivers. Um, Ezekiel 10, you can read this. Go home and read this. What happens is, is that Ezekiel tells of how God's presence left the temple before it was even destroyed. And what happened was that after the captivity, which only lasted about 70 years, they, the, the Israelites gradually came back to Jerusalem. They rebuilt the walls and then eventually they re- rebuilt a second temple. But if you read the prophet Haggai, very minor prophet, just two chapters, really easy to read. What you'll see there is that it's not entirely clear that the presence of God returned when they built this second temple. So there was this long period of time from before 586 BC, right through to the time of Jesus, when this supernatural, metaphysical, but very physical presence of God in the middle of the temple did not reside in the middle of the temple. And the Jews believed that God's presence wasn't with them. That was hugely significant. Because the Jews believed that when God's presence was with them, he'd provide for them, he'd protect them, and everything would be fine. And so when Jesus turns up, Clearly those around Jesus, people like Mark, they understood that when Jesus spoke, he was speaking as the very presence of God back amongst the Jews again. And, um, and I'm just going to refer to Jesus of Nazareth in his pre-death existence as Rabbi Jesus, because he was a Jewish rabbi. And in Acts 2, 36, one of the apostles, one of the disciples of Jesus someone you'll recognise the name of Peter, he stands up and he says this. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, this Rabbi Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Those first disciples, those early apostles, they made this leap of faith, and it was a leap of faith. They made a leap of faith that the eternal divine presence of Yahweh, that's their name for God, the eternal divine presence of God was in this person, Jesus. That was a stupendous leap of faith. Why did they do this? Well, it's because Jesus appeared to them so many times after he was resurrected. And I'm going to just give you an example of this. In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8, this is the Apostle Paul describing his perspective on it. For what I received, I passed on to you as first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, that is the twelve disciples. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living and can testify to this, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Paul 
experienced Jesus himself. Paul agrees with the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yes, this Jesus is the Christ. This Jesus is the presence of God amongst us. And this was why it caused such a riot. Because the presence of God had not resided amongst the Jews for nearly 600 years. This is why it was such a big deal. Um, What's really significant, though, is that all of the accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, which was written by Luke, and Paul's letters, all say that this resurrected Jesus was the rabbi Jesus, that is the pre-resurrection Jesus, but was different. In other words, he wasn't just resuscitated. If someone had a heart attack now and we had a defibrillator and we defibrillated them and restarted their heart, they're still the same person. Now, they might have a different perspective, but they're still the same person. But what they're saying is the resurrected Jesus was still the same person, but he was quite different. And in fact, we can read a bit of this, Mark 16, 12. Uh, Mark's just describing some things that happened after the resurrection. It says, Mark 16, 12, afterwards, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of the disciples whilst they were walking in the country. He appeared to them in a different form. That sounds strange. What, what does that even mean? Well, the disciples were able to experience the resurrected Christ Jesus physically. Okay, So we know this because he, they, they saw him on the beach while they were out fishing and um, by the time they got back to the beach, he's roasting fish on the fire and he's sharing a meal with them. He's, he's cooking dinner for them. So there's a very physical aspect to Jesus. He was sharing food with them. Um, he invited uh, Thomas in the, in the famous story of Doubting Thomas to touch his wounds like, because the, the resurrected Jesus, you know, his body wasn't healed up. He still had the, the, the holes in his wrists where the nails were driven and through his feet where the nails were driven and the hole in his side where the spear pierced him that we know about from the story of the, of the crucifixion. So he still had the very physical appearance and he invited Thomas to touch his wounds and Thomas then touched his wounds and he, because he, he said, look, I'm not going to believe this until I see Jesus face to face. So he was very physically present. But there was also something very metaphysical about Jesus as well because he could pass through walls and doors. Um, he could relocate from one location to another without apparently walking there. Um, there were these kind of weird experiences that they had of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, that really were beyond comprehension, were beyond human sensation. He even ascended into the sky and was, was hidden by a cloud. That's what Luke writes in Acts. I mean, you just, oops, just read it for yourself. Dan, could you just help me here? That's something slightly paranormal as well, isn't it? Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Uh, Paul, actually, mo- most people don't realise this, but the letters from Paul are some of the earliest accounts we have of Jesus' life. Because Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, although they appear in the Bible chronologically before, well, not chronologically, but you know, numerically before Paul's letters, they actually written after Paul's letters were written, most of them. And Paul writes, he says that um, he... After Jesus was ascended into heaven, whatever that was like, I mean, if anyone can explain what that actually was, I don't know. I mean, that's, for me, metaphysical paranormal. I don't understand it. I mean, honestly, if one of you just floated up into the sky now, I'd be like, what's going on? That's what we read about. Um, but after that happened, uh, Paul goes from being this, this 
zealous Jew that is persecuting these people that believe that Jesus was the Christ to becoming one like them. Why? Because he had an encounter with God on the road to Damascus that everyone's heard of, where there's a big flash of light and apparently has a lengthy conversation with Jesus in this moment of flash lightning. Again, just explain that to me. It's paranormal, it's metaphysical, it's beyond our human perception. It's just incredible. And just 20 years after these events, this is what Paul says. He says that human beings can experience the physical and the metaphysical presence of Christ Jesus through relationship with other people. So just check out 1 Corinthians 12 for that, if you're making notes. Um, He says that we can experience Christ Jesus through food and drink. 1 Corinthians 11, have a look at that. He says that we can experience Christ Jesus through connection with what we would call the planet, the moon, the stars, the solar system. He says we can experience all of those things. Read Romans 8 for that. Sometimes, unfortunately, friends, as Christians, we tend to gloss over these kind of passages in Scripture and we don't connect them to what we're thinking about here. But Paul says we can experience Christ Jesus in the here and now despite him being resurrected and ascended into heaven. We can experience him now in our lives through, through everyday ordinary things like food and drink like the ground that we walk on, like the relationships that we have with other people. We can experience Christ Jesus. This connection between Christ Jesus and all things physical and metaphysical is described many years after Paul's letters by the Apostle John. Now, some of you will know that the Apostle John, we think, also wrote Revelation. We also wrote some letters that are in his name, but also the account of Jesus' life called John. So John was writing much later than Paul. And by this time, this idea that Christ Jesus was present, both physically and metaphysically, that had really taken hold. And John starts his account of Jesus' life with this statement. John 1, verse 2. Christ was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Just get your head around that for a minute, if you can. Through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. And John's talking about the whole cosmos there. He's talking about you, me, and your descendants, and your great, 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 great grandchildren. He's talking about everything and everyone. He's talking about the universe. He's saying it was all made through Christ Jesus. What an incredible claim to make. These people believed firmly that Christ Jesus was God. And it is a stunning, stunning, sensational claim. John and Paul, not Lennon McCartney, were making clear that everything in the universe bears the hallmark of Christ Jesus. You know, the astonishing insights that we've gained from science um, uh, show that right down to a subatomic level, we are all the same, we're made of the same stuff. We're made of the same stuff as the building we're actually in. That's a bit strange, isn't it? But at the summatomic level, my body is made of the same stuff as planets. Okay? Science has shown us this already. But I think John and Paul were there even earlier. By the way, John and Paul of the, uh, the Beatles were good Catholic boys. That's why they're called John and Paul. Not that that's how they work. But the truth is, is that This tradition is deeply embedded within us. But what happened here in the Bible was John and Paul, that is the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul, 
were making the same point that everything in the universe is created in Christ Jesus. They, like us, struggled for language to describe this. How do you describe the indescribable? I don't know how you do it. They chose some words. They were inspired words. Through him all things were made. They could have said that Jesus, Christ Jesus was the life force of the universe, present in everything physical and metaphysical. Now, John and Paul's assertion that human beings are able to experience Christ Jesus in both the physical and the metaphysical is a much stronger tradition in the Catholic tradition and the Orthodox tradition than it is in our Western Protestant tradition. I haven't got time to explain why that is today, but there are good reasons for it. Which is why, in the Catholic and Orthodox churches, there's a great emphasis on the sacraments. This idea of the physical being a way of experience the metaphysical. Does that make sense? You might be familiar with the way in which there's a Catholic idea that when you eat the bread and drink the wine, it literally becomes Jesus' body and blood in you. Okay, for most of us, we're like, "Uh, that sounds ridiculous and disgusting, frankly. But there is something in that about the physical nature of God's presence with us, just like it was when the Jews believed that God's presence was in the temple and the tabernacle. Does that make sense? There's something about the physical being a route to the metaphysical. It's about experiencing the metaphysical through the physical. In the vineyard, which, you know, we're, we're part of a, a stream of charismatic evangelicalism, you might say. Um, we've, we've got some of these sacraments still, but the, the Orthodox and Catholic churches, they, you'll know famously, and many aspects of the higher Anglican church have these seven sacraments, baptism, Eucharist, by which we mean the Lord's Supper, confirmation, um, confession, anointing of the sick, matrimony and priesthood, seven sacraments, seven, seven ways that we can experience the physical, the metaphysical through the physical, that these things don't just point, but they give us access to the metaphysical God, something beyond our normal perception. The principle of seeing Christ Jesus in everyone and everything is rooted deeply in the Christian tradition. But I wonder for those of us that have experienced just the Protestant tradition, whether actually we don't recognise that. We don't recognise that because we haven't had that rooted in us. But friends, it's right there in the scripture. Read John 1, 2. Read Paul's letters. Read the words of the apostles right after the resurrection. We are seeing here, we are seeing him and we're connecting with a story that's been told for generations amongst the Jews that God is present physically and metaphysically in our midst and we can experience him physically in our midst. I just want to invite us to consider whether we really do see Christ Jesus in all things like John suggests. So let me just ask you these questions first of all, and then we'll use them for contemplation. Can we look at ourselves? Can you look at yourself and see Christ Jesus in you? Do we associate the precious, vulnerable, powerful energy of life in our bodies with the life force of Jesus? Can we look at the visible world 
and see Christ Jesus? Do we associate the precious, vulnerable, powerful energy of life in every mammal, insect, reptile, plant, seed with the life force of Christ Jesus? Can we look at the planet that we live on and see Christ Jesus? Do we associate the precious, vulnerable, powerful energy of life in the atmosphere, in the oceans and the land with the life force of Christ Jesus? Can we look at the solar systems and the galaxies and see Christ Jesus? Do we associate the precious, vulnerable, powerful energy of the life in every planet, moon, star with the life force of Christ Jesus? Friends, can we look at other people and see Christ Jesus? Do we associate the precious, vulnerable, powerful energy of life in every single person with the life force of Christ Jesus. Now you might be thinking to yourself, Owen, I need some time to think about that, to contemplate that. And that's what I'm going to invite you to do. But before we do that, I just want to emphasise this morning that this will feel like a strange, well some of us, because we're Protestants, will feel like a strange teaching. It will feel like a strange explanation of the Bible. But what I'm not doing is encouraging us to see Christ Jesus Rather, I'm not encouraging us to separate Rabbi Jesus from Christ Jesus. They're the same person. But there was something different about the resurrected Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul writes in Galatians, he talks about how God is love, God is joy, God is peace, God is patient, God is kind, good, faithful, gentle and self-controlled. The apostles Paul and John, in proclaiming Jesus as the Christ, were saying that these qualities of God lie at the heart of everyone and everything, which is not surprising, is it? Why is it that the world over we value those qualities? Why is it the world over we celebrate those qualities, we desire those qualities? doesn't matter what ethnic background you are, what culture you have. Those those qualities that, that Paul associates with Christ Jesus Paul and John and others would say that they are in all things because we are made by God and everything is made in Christ. So for our contemplation, Ben's going to play some quiet music and I'm just going to read those questions again. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes wherever you're at home, listening to this afterwards. If you're driving your car, don't close your eyes. Uh, stop the car and just, just sit back and contemplate these questions. Can we look at ourselves and see Christ Jesus? Can you see him in your history, in your present, in your future? Can you see Christ Jesus in your body, in your mind? Do we associate the precious, vulnerable, powerful energy of life in our bodies with the life force of Christ Jesus? How would you be different if you could see Christ Jesus in yourself? 
your beating heart, your powerful emotions, your every thought. Can we look at the visible world and see Christ Jesus? Do we associate the precious, vulnerable, powerful energy of life in every mammal, every fish, in every insect, in every reptile, in every plant, every tree, in every seed, with the life force of Christ Jesus? that change the way we interact with our precious, precious planet that we live on? And when we look at the planet that we live on, can we see Christ Jesus? Do we know that God created all things? do we associate the precious, vulnerable, powerful energy of life in the atmosphere, in the oceans, and on the land with the life force of Christ Jesus? How would that affect stewardship of this planet that we live on if we saw Christ Jesus in all things and when we gaze into the night sky and we glimpse the Milky Way just one of the many billions of galaxies in our universe can we see Christ Jesus? Do we associate the precious, vulnerable, powerful energy of life in every planet, moon, star, and solar system and galaxy with the life force of Christ Jesus? Is your God big enough for that? Or do you believe we are alone in a dark universe? empty universe or is that universe filled with the life of God the life of Christ Jesus finally can we look at other people and see Christ Jesus Do we associate the precious, vulnerable, powerful energy of life in every single person with the life force of Christ Jesus? Do we see them like that? Or do we see them like the enemy? Do we see them like the adversary, the competitor, the pain in the neck, the frustration? 
or can we see in them Christ Jesus? How would that affect the way we treat them? Christ was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. May the the Spirit of God, may the Spirit of God sharpen our senses and our theology to see God in all things. To see Christ Jesus dwelling amongst us. The greatest message the world has ever heard. That God is with us. That we are not alone. May we see Christ in all things. In all people. And may it change the way we live for the better. for a little longer but maybe you would like some prayer maybe you'd like to pray with someone and we'd invite you to come to the front to receive prayer if that's what you'd like to do or maybe you're just with someone that you trust to pray with you and you might just want to say just just would you just put your hand on my shoulder and just bless me or pray for me maybe something specific you came with this morning maybe something you've been touched by this morning and you don't want to lose it may God bless you and may the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you May you know his presence in every hour of this week, both waking and sleeping, in Jesus' name.